We're going to continue to worship God this morning with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. And really, giving is something that's always been tied to worship. What worship means is to express worth to something. So when we give, we're saying, Jesus, like, I really like money. I'm honest about that. I like it. If you don't like yours, I'll take yours. I will help you. But, but it's saying, but you're worth even more to me than the other things that my heart's pursuing. And so that's part of why it is that we give back to God. So, Father, as we give to you, we're so grateful that you've been so generous with us and you've given uh, just so lavishly to us, God, in every way. And, Father, as we give, we want to see your kingdom continue to come and expand and advance, God. We want to see everything we give multiplied to have a greater impact than it ever should have in our community, God, in our nation, and all across the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, if you're new here, new here with us today, thank you so much for being our guest. There's a lot of things you could have done, but you chose to be here with us. We hope you're not regretting that already. It's going to get better if you haven't liked it so far. Maybe not, but hey, you're here, so smile. But we have information cards in the front of the seat back in front of you. If you fill one of those out, uh, what will happen is you turn it into the information table on your way out, and you'll get a free Radiant t-shirt as a way to say thank you for being here. And then this week, I'll shoot you an email welcoming you to the church and seeing if there's anything that we can do for you. Also, next week, June 11th, we have baptisms here. So if you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you've never been baptized, then we would love to have you sign up. You can do that on the information card and turn it in the information table as well. And then right up here next Sunday, um, I'll get a, I'm sending out the email to everybody that signed up today so you get all the details and all the information you need to know. We'd love to have you make that next step of obedience and identifying in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And then we have our next steps class today, which is Belong. If you've ever want to know more about Radiant Church, our vision, values, beliefs, get a chance to meet me and ask me some questions, that'll take place in here about uh, 11.20, just a little bit after service gets out. So you can just stick around or go get some coffee and come back in here. It's about a half hour just hearing about the vision and the heartbeat of Radiant Church and a chance to ask me some questions. Super informal, and uh, most people have a pretty good time. So we got about a four-and-a-half-star rating probably in our Google reviews for a blown class. <laughs> Sorry, I've been taking some cough medicine, so I'm a little messed up today. <laughs> it's going to get better. All right, well, we're in our series, Luke, Investigating Jesus. And what we're doing is we're looking and we're saying, who is Jesus? Not what has culture told me about Jesus or my parents told me about Jesus, but I want to go back to the source material and see who Jesus really is, what it was that he taught, and how that affects my life and the way that he's called me to live. And this week, we're going to be looking at a power dynamic that exists, that Jesus demonstrates. Now, power dynamics are interesting things. I remember when I was six years old, and I started playing basketball with my dad, who's six foot. So at six years old, I was much smaller than he was, much less gifted, probably, at basketball than he was. But we go out there, and it didn't seem to matter, like, no matter what, I always won. Have you ever realized that? And as a six-year-old, after you win a couple games against your old man, you start thinking, like, I'm awesome. And my dad, he's terrible. So... <laughs> And he, I just couldn't figure out how it was that he could be just be like draining skyhooks. He watched Kareem when he was a kid. So we had like the skyhook thing worked out where you drive and you do that. But when it came down to when it mattered most, when the game was on the line, I just summoned the strength and the inner willpower so that I could dominate my dad. And sometimes I'd like take four shots, get my own rebound, just keep rebounding over this guy that was three foot taller than me, and just keep putting the rock back up. And eventually I'd always end up winning on the last basket. And I just thought I was awesome. You ever had that experience? Or have you ever done that with your kids? My son, Easton, he thinks I'm the worst baseball player in the world. 
Because every time we hit off the tee to make him feel better about himself, I like tomahawk it off the tee. I'm like, oh, this is really hard. And he hits one that goes five foot, and I'm like, you're incredible, you know? And so he thinks I'm a terrible baseball player. Well, one day he's like, Dad, you're terrible. I'm like, all right, I'm going to show you how it's done. <laughs> Ken Griffey Jr. style, turn the hat backwards, and watch it sail into the neighbor's yard. I'm like, go get it, drop the bat. Because <laughs> see, what happens is one day my dad did the same thing to me. He had enough of me talking trash to him and like throwing elbows in his gut and all that kind of stuff. And one day he decided to show me who really had the power in this power dynamic of basketball with a six-year-old. And I learned a lesson. Well, you know, the same thing is happening here with Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 4, is that there's been a power dynamic that's been existing. And it's been that it looks like Satan has had all the power. It looks like uh, darkness and sickness and death have been the things that have been dominating the world and that we have no power. We're just continually the victims of the kingdom of darkness again and again. We have no power to overcome it. But then what we see in Jesus is that our Heavenly Father decided it was time to start playing for real. And the power dynamic shifted. So in Luke chapter 4, verses uh, 31 through 37... Now, this is after he's left Nazareth. Remember, they tried to throw him off of a cliff and all of that stuff. So he leaves there, and he goes down to Capernaum, and it says, He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you come to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of the man, having done him no harm. And they were amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding regions. So basically what happens is Jesus like this demon just starts yelling and screaming and stuff at Jesus. And everybody's like, what on earth is going on? And Jesus kicks a demon out of a dude. And everybody's like, like what just happened here? Did that really just happen? Like, I've never seen anything like this. Now I'm like, are there demons everywhere? Now I'm scared of demons. I didn't even know they were there before. And what's Jesus doing? Like kicking them out and stuff. Why are people falling on the ground? And so the answer to that is, like, that's kind of the experience we have. Because we live in an enlightenment generation. A couple hundred years ago, uh, some of the great thinkers decided that everything that exists is material and it's natural and it can be tested, it can be verified, and it can be explained. And anything that's not natural or spiritual is just made up fantasy, fairy tales, that sort of stuff. So a lot of times when we come and we read the Bible, we look at something like unclean spirits, which are demons, and we say, you know, that's an allegory, it's a metaphor, maybe there's some kind of a medical condition that was going on that just wasn't able to be explained. So demons became sort of the gap filler for all of that stuff. But what we see happening here is that demons aren't an allegory, it's not a metaphor, it's not an unexplained medical condition that's going on, but demons, in fact, are real. In fact, they are mentioned 27 times in the book of Luke. And all through the Bible, you see them referencing unclean spirits or demons. And so what are demons? Demons were originally angels. 
When God was creating in the spiritual realm, he created angels, and their job was to worship and to adore God. And it says the angels were created to be ministering spirits for those who were going to receive salvation. So what that means is that God created angels as spirit beings that would come and that would minister to us. And they would do things to continue to lead us into the salvation that Jesus is bringing us. They're more powerful than we are, but they were created to serve us and to continue to lead us more and more into godliness and into the life that God created us to live. Now, one of the angels that was created was named Lucifer, who you've probably heard of, and uh, yeah, that's how I was going to tell you about baby names, but I don't hear a lot of baby names named Lucifer, and every time I do, I feel real bad, so don't do that. <laughs> Lucifer was one of the highest angels. And what his job was, he was created to be the covering angel, meaning that in heaven, in the throne room of heaven where God is, it says that he was the covering one that covered the presence and the glory of God. That Some people say that he was the worship leader of heaven. He was as close to God as anyone possibly could be. And what happens is Lucifer ends up having pride develop inside of him, and he's not content to just worship God and to be close to God and to his glory and his presence, but he decides that he wants to be worshipped as God. We've all been there. We don't like to say that, but that's what a lot of the temptation of pride is for us, is that we want to be God. We don't just want to worship God or experience him or enjoy his glory and his presence. We want to be God ourselves. So when that happens, it says that there's war in heaven and that God kicks Lucifer out of heaven and that a third of the angels went with him. So he's leading a rebellion in heaven. A third of the angels join his rebellion, try to rebel against God, which, I mean, come on, he's as close to God as anybody could be. What was he thinking? Like he honestly was surprised by the fact that his rebellion against God didn't work out. So he gets cast down out of heaven and a third of the angels go with him. And those angels that went with him, those are what demons are. And they're the ones that continue to exist on earth today. And this is what they do. They continue to serve the plans of Lucifer, who's Satan or the devil, the enemy. There's different ways that we refer to him. So we know what it says. Satan's plan is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Super easy job description. It's all he does is he steals, he kills, and he destroys. That's his motivation. That's what he's trying to do to you. It's what he's trying to do to us. And that's what the, the demons are doing as well. They're not omnipresent, so Satan himself can't be everywhere tempting every person at any given point. He's focusing on one person, and it's probably not us. I mean, there's world leaders that are probably more important or influential than we are. So there's demons that come, and they're the ones that are trying to work stealing, destruction, and death inside of our lives. Instead of leading us into godliness and leading us into the salvation that God's prepared for us, their job now is the opposite of that. They're trying to lead us away from godliness. They're trying to lead us, instead of living in the freedom that Jesus has given us, making us live in bondage, making us live with captives, making us say we're just living with condemnation and guilt and shame and all sorts of temptation. They're just constantly throwing it at us because they want to destroy us and they don't want us to receive salvation and spend eternity with God. They want us to receive the punishment that's been prepared for them, which is hell. So that's all that they do. And they're deceivers. It says that uh, he's the chief of, or the prince of lies. And so that's what demons are always doing too. They're always just lying to you again and again. Every temptation that you face, it's always a lie. You always think, you know what? I remember as a kid, it's like, hey, if I hit my sister, I really feel like my life's going to turn around. Like everything's going to be better. That's the lie, right? But you believe it and you hit your sister and then you find out that your life is miserable now because mom and dad found out. 
And then we get bigger and it's different. Hey, you know what? If, if I just go you know, cheat on my spouse or this person, I'm gonna, in this affair, I'm going to find everything that I've been looking for. It's going to make me feel alive. It's going to make me feel complete. That never happens. What happens is divorce. Divorce does not make you feel alive and complete. What happens is the destruction of families and your kids hating you and all of that stuff. That's not what Satan and the demons are telling you. They're lying to you with every temptation. If you just had a little bit more money, if you're just a little bit more selfish, if you're a little bit more proud, all of these things, it's just the way that demons are trying to lie to you. They're trying to tempt you to lead you into bondage, into captivity, so that you don't walk in the freedom that God has won for you and his plans and his purposes for your life. Another question you might have is, what does it mean to be demon-possessed? Because we see movies with, you know, girls like climbing on ceilings and their heads turning 360 degrees. And like we get all freaked out about that stuff. Now, the idea of demon possession, it's really not a good translation of it. What the Bible refers to is demonization. And there's different levels of that. So if, if you're just being tempted or tormented, um, sometimes demons, what they like to do is like one of the things they love to do is give you bad dreams and destroy your sleep and pr- paint a prophetic picture of failure in your life and, and what's going to happen when God doesn't show up for you. That's a level of demonic influence that they're trying to exert on you and temptation. But they can get to a different level of where it actually comes to the point of where you've opened yourself so much to the demonic that it actually begins to give them control over you and the things that you're doing. That's what we see happening with this man is that he comes before Jesus and he just starts screaming out and throws him to the ground. That guy wasn't like, hey, I want to scream at Jesus and throw myself to the ground. But because he becomes so demonized, that's what happened. Read about other people in the Bible where uh, they're trying, there's this one boy who's been demonized and to the point of where the demon takes control of him and is throwing him in the fires and into water and trying to kill him. I mean, that's serious demonization. And there's everything in between, from that to all the way down to just what all of us experience all the time of, you know, demons are just trying to tempt you, trying to get you to do something that's going to lead you away from what God's called you to. So how do you get really demonized like that? Uh, Just opening yourself up. The Bible always talks about your life is like a house. And your house has windows and it has doors in it. And there are things that we can do to open windows and doors to allow more demonization inside of our lives. Uh, occultic practices are one of the things when I encounter people who have severe demonization a lot of times it started with something where they were getting involved in witchcraft Um, a lot of people that are worshiping false gods that are making sacrifices from other religions and things like that people that are I mean believe it or not I've met people like Satan will you give me power and it's like I open myself up to you never do that it's a terrible idea uh, sexual immorality is something that does that. I've met a lot of people that were dealing with substance abuse issues and that open themselves up to more demonic influence inside of their life. So those are the different types of things that can open you up to it. So then the real good question is, how do you get rid of demons, right? Because it doesn't sound like they do anything good in your life. You don't want them. Well, you can't do anything on your own to get rid of demons. They're bigger than you. They're stronger than you. They're smarter than you. But the good news is that Jesus has all power and all authority over demons. We might not have power over them. We might not have authority over them on our own. But Jesus does. And it's not even a close match. It's not that they're equal and opposite forces. It's that Jesus has so much power and authority that the demonic just cannot even stand up against him. Because this is what happens. When that man comes and sees Jesus, he just, like the demon flips out. The demon is terrified. He's saying, like, what have you come, have you come to destroy us? He's scared. Because the demon recognizes who Jesus is, and he recognizes the mission of Jesus. Demons have great 
uh, theology. They knew who Jesus was because they saw him in heaven. They knew who he was. And now they're freaked out because the guy that kicked them out of heaven, now he's come down to their domain. And they know that the only reason that he's here is to destroy them. Jesus came to destroy the work of the demonic that every one of us has been exposed to over the course of our life. It was that we were just living as victims, we were living as captives, we were living as those who were being oppressed by demonic activity in our world. But Jesus came, and he came to destroy all of their works and everything that's going on. So the demon sees him, starts flipping out. He's crying out. And some of you, you maybe have never seen anything like that happen before. Honestly, I don't see that happen a whole lot in our culture. Uh, Brother Abraham, every time I talk to him, I'm like, hey, how'd church go? He's like, oh, you know, we had uh, about seven people that rushed the stage crying out because they had demons and stuff, and we had to cast the demons out of them, and then we went on with church. I'm like, so are people used to that there? Like, oh, yeah, it happens all the time. And I'm like, that doesn't happen a whole lot here. And I actually asked him, I'm like, why doesn't that happen here? He's like, well, how many animals did your people sacrifice to gods this week? I'm like, probably none. He's like, there you go. <laughs> I'm like, all right, you guys are making my job easier, so I really appreciate that. But the, that's something that happens in a lot of cultures is demons come into a place where the presence of God is. They flip out because they know that it's going to go really, really poorly for them. And so they cause disturbances and they scream and cry out and all that kind of stuff. Now, what does Jesus do? You might think, like, if you saw someone come up and they're flipping out and you can recognize they're using a voice. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, but, like, the craziest things when you see, like, some sweet little tiny girl or whatever, and she's like, what are you doing? Like, the crazy demonic voice. It catches you off guard sometimes. And Jesus isn't caught off guard by this. He isn't freaking out about it. What does he do? He says, shut up. He just commands the demon. He's like, shut up. Why does he tell him to do that? Number one, because he doesn't want the disturbance. And number two, he doesn't want a demon going around saying that this is the Holy One of God. Isn't that interesting? Wouldn't you think all publicity is good publicity if even the demon recognizes it? Like, hey, yeah, maybe we should let him talk for a little bit and then shut him up? Jesus is real picky about his vessels. He's really picky about his messengers. And he won't allow the foul, demonic beings to be the ones who are proclaiming and giving him identity. Even though the demon was speaking truth, he wasn't going to allow the demon to be the one that revealed truth to all of the people that were around him. So Jesus just takes charge of the situation. He says, shut up. And then he rebukes him. He just says, get out. Now, I love in all of our movies, we're like, okay, I got, okay, there's a demon. Okay, this is crazy. So what I got to do is I got to get a cross. I got to get some water to throw at someone. Maybe we got to get some beads. I got to have some Hail Marys and chants. Like, Jesus doesn't do that. I mean, he didn't hold up a cross and say, guys, in three years, this is going to make sense. Just trust me. He doesn't get worked up. He doesn't get scared. He doesn't chant. He doesn't throw oil at people or water at people. He just rebukes the demon. Why does he do that? Because he has all power and he has all authority. There's no other force. There's no other power. There's no other person in all of eternity that is like Jesus. And the demonic cannot stand against him. So what do you do when you encounter demonization? You do what Jesus did. You recognize it for what it is. You tell him to shut up. And then you use the power and the authority that you have in you as someone who's become a temple for the living God, someone in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, and you just tell the demon to leave. That's all it is. 
You don't have to yell and scream. It's, like, it's crazy what people do. Let's just do it the Jesus way. You know, met, uh, there was a guy that, he was demonized. And so what had happened was uh, he and his girlfriend were using heroin. Uh, he introduced her to it. She ended up overdosing and dying when they were getting high together. So now he's living with guilt because he knows that his girlfriend died because he introduced her to a drug, got her into it, and then they got high together, woke up, and she was dead. And what's happened to him is he keeps seeing his girlfriend, and she keeps telling him, kill yourself, come be with me. And again and again, he just keep, he's in his bedroom, he's at work, different places, and he just keeps seeing his girlfriend, and she keeps telling him, you need to kill yourself, you need to come be with me, we can be together forever, all of these sorts of things. And so, of course, what does he do? He goes to a psych ward, and they pump him full of drugs, and believe it or not, you can't find a combination of drugs that's going to make demons go away, because that's what's happening. There's a demonic manifestation. The demon has recognized that there's an open door of opportunity for them to try to bring destruction to this man, and so they're coming, appearing as his dead girlfriend, and trying to lure him into killing himself. So my wife and I, were recognized, like, hey, buddy, you're not crazy. You've got a demon problem. And so we're able to talk to him and tell him about the power that Jesus has and the life that Jesus has called him to and prayed, and he never saw that demon again. He was instantly and forever delivered from the power of the demonic. I know that might sound crazy to some of you, but, like, believe me, I've experienced this. I've lived it. I've seen it again and again and again. And, but I've also seen how there's not been one time that the demonic has ever been able to stand against the power of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't have to live in fear of demons. We don't have to run around. You don't have to, like, I met one lady at this church. She was precious. But she'd always be like, oh, the devil, he pushed me down the stairs again this week. I'm like, no, you're clumsy. <laughs> like, there's not a demon in everything. The devil, he shut my fingers in the window. I'm like, no. That, you need new windows. Like, there's not a demon in everything. There's not a demon behind every corner. But we also need to recognize that demons are real and that they are trying to steal, they're trying to kill, and they're trying to destroy. They're trying to make you live as a captive. What did Jesus say that he came to do? To set the captives free and to proclaim liberty to those who are oppressed. If you're living with severe demonization, you're living as a captive. And Jesus came to set you free. And if you're living with demonic oppression, whether it's dreams or different temptations that it's bringing to you or whatever, you're living as someone who's oppressed. And Jesus came to proclaim liberty to you. You don't have to live in fear and you don't have to live in captivity or oppression. Jesus came to set you free. Then it continues in Luke chapter 4, 38 through 41. It says, And then he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ." So what we see now is that Jesus is demonstrating the power of the kingdom. He first did it by casting the demon out of the person, exerting his full power, authority, and control over the demonic realm. And now he does it by saying that I have that same kind of power and authority over sickness. Jesus has all authority and all power over sickness. 
And sickness is something that holds us captive, and it's something that oppresses us. I didn't used to think of it that way, and then I got sick. And then I discover what it's like to live as a captive because of sickness inside of your body. I've discovered what it's like to live with oppression that's going on inside of me because of sickness that's occurring in my body. And what's happening, it says that she has a fever. Now, in that time, 2,000 years ago, diagnostic tools were not real great in testing. So it could have been a, it could have been a number of things, but the word that they used meant it was a severe fever, meaning that it was something that was leading her to a place where she was gravely ill. It wasn't just like, hey, we have a little you know, mild fever. It's like, she's sick. There's some sort of an infection in her body, whatever it might have been caused by, but she is not in a good place. And Jesus comes in, and what does he do? He says he just rebukes it. He's like, get out. Sickness, you don't have any place here. And immediately it's gone. He doesn't have to chant, doesn't throw water at people, crosses again. It's like, Jesus just does it so simply and so easily. Why? Because he has authority and power, and that has to respond to every command that proceeds from his mouth. Because he's the one that has the power. And I love the response of, of Simon's mother-in-law. What does she do? It says that she gets up and starts serving Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? That's the way it's supposed to be. When Jesus comes and he sets you free, when he removes oppression from you, what should our response be? Not to just keep going on with life as normal and like, thanks Jesus, catch you later. It's like, no, Jesus, thank you. I'm going to spend the rest of my life serving you because of what it is that you've done for me. You've shown me how great your love is for me, that you would come to me in my brokenness, in my captivity, in my oppression, and that you would lay your life down for me. And God, you've demonstrated how powerful you are. Like, what else am I going to do with my life? I'm going to follow you. Because you've shown me that kind of love and you've shown me and demonstrated that kind of power. Now because of that, Jesus, everything else I was doing, that seems really inconsequential now. But what seems really important is following after you and spending the rest of my life serving you, Jesus. And that's what she does. There's a lot of different sicknesses that we encounter in life. A lot of different causes for sickness. You know, if you're like half the kids right now, uh, you've got some kind of runny nose coffee thing going on because you're exposed to a natural, we live in a fallen world where there's bacteria and viruses and we transmit it to each other. There's that kind of sickness. Uh, there's sicknesses that come from genetic uh, disorders or conditions that you have uh, and they're terrible. There's cancers, there's different things like that. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways. There's mental health issues. There are emotional sicknesses that we can get. There are things that we do to our own bodies, like we all love to eat so much and hate to exercise, and so we cause sickness inside of our own bodies by our own choices that we make. But it doesn't matter where the sickness came from. It doesn't matter if it's something that's just a part of living in a fallen world, something that you've been genetically predisposed to. It doesn't matter if it's something that you've even done to yourself. Jesus has all power and all authority over all sickness. And just one word can bring total health and healing to you and to your body. And it's a demonstration that the king has come. That the king of the kingdom of heaven, he's here. And it's now. It's not just something that we're waiting for. And I love that we are... I'm so looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to a new body because even if Jesus heals you or whatever it is you're dealing with, you're still going to die. 
Like, that's just the reality for every one of us. That's a part of the curse that we live under is we grow old, we get sick, and at some point we're going to die. But in heaven, we know that there's no sickness. In heaven, we know that we have a glorified body that will never die again, that will never hurt, that will never suffer, that will never experience captivity or oppression again. And that kingdom has already come. We don't have the fullness of it yet, but the kingdom has come. And how does Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If there's no sickness in heaven, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend my life praying, God, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you free the captives and would you free the oppressed from the sickness that they're experiencing as a demonstration of your power, as a confirmation of the gospel message that we preach. This is what the apostles prayed. I love it so much in the book of Acts. They're all excited. It's Pentecost Sunday today, and they're celebrating. They're, they're, they're geeked out of their minds because the Holy Spirit has fallen on them in power, and now they're going around, and they're speaking in tongues, and they're healing people, and there's prophetic words, and signs and wonders are occurring, and this is what they do. They're all excited, and they get back together, and they pray, God, give us boldness to preach the gospel message that we would never shrink back in the face of persecution because they were heavily persecuted. So they prayed, God, give us boldness. And then they prayed this, and stretch out your hands to confirm the message that we preach with signs and wonders. What they were doing was saying, God, would you show that you are the king of heaven, that you have come, that you are the one who has all power and all authority that we can trust our lives to by healing the sick, by casting out demons, by giving us prophetic words, by giving us the ability to, to supernaturally communicate with people in other languages. Jesus, do these things to confirm your power and to confirm the message that we preach. And that's happening today, too. That needs to be our prayer today as the church because this is what happens. This is how the story finishes. In Luke 4, 42 through 43, it says, And when it was day, he departed, and he went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So what's happening is they're trying to keep him, like, Jesus, stay here. Like, keep healing sick people, keep casting out demons, keep doing all of that good stuff. We want you to stay here with us. But Jesus says, I have to keep going because I was sent to preach this message and to do these works in other places as well. And so here's the good news, is that Jesus has come to this place to set captives free. This place, this morning, Jesus is here. It says that he sits enthroned on the praises of his people. Why do we start every service with praise and worship? Because we're just inviting the presence of God. We're magnifying him. We're saying, God, we don't just want to sing songs. We don't just want to listen to some guy talk and do home run trots on stage. Like, we need more than that. We want to encounter you, the living God. 
Jesus, we need the freedom that only you can give. God, we need the power that only you can give. We need you to come, and we need you to bring release inside of us, God, release of us as our captives, God, from the oppression that we're facing. God, we want you. We want to encounter you, Jesus, more than anything else. We want your presence, and we want to know you. And what Jesus came to do 2,000 years ago to release captives, bring liberty to the oppressed, he's still doing today. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, it's better for you that I leave. Like, imagine that. It's better that Jesus leaves earth and goes to sit on his throne. Like, that makes no sense at all. Like, because I'm going to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit in us is going to mean that we can do the things that Jesus did. And that's what Jesus says. These things he saw me do, healing people, casting out demons, preaching the gospel. Now you go do that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's a part of your job description. That's what you've been called to do. And it shouldn't ever be something that's weird for us. It shouldn't ever be something that's controversial. That's what Jesus said. He said, go heal the sick, cast out demons, preach that the kingdom has come. So here's what I'm telling you this morning. The kingdom has come. When Jesus gave up the glory of heaven and humbled himself, became... An embryo inside of Mary's womb. He came to bring the kingdom. He lived a sinless life and he went to the cross on our behalf. God, the one who created us, the one who spoke us into being, he went to the cross on our behalf. He bore the penalty for our sin, the death that every one of us dies, the separation from God that every one of us deserves. He took that on himself so that we wouldn't have to do it. He came and he confronted and defeated the demonic. He came and he confronted and defeated sickness so that we could walk in healing, so that we could live in liberty and in freedom, so that we could be ministered to by angels instead of torn down by demons. And that's the thing that he's still continuing to do to this very day. If you study church history, you see it happening in the apostles, the church fathers, and it just continues to go on through every generation. The miraculous work of God has not stopped because there's no less need for the miraculous work of God than there was then. We need it more now, I would argue. Jesus is no less compassionate now than he was then. And he's no less able, that's for sure. The crowds came to Jesus because they needed him to do what only he could do. This morning, we still do the same thing. We come to Jesus because we still need him to do things that only he can do. It took faith to come to Jesus. It took faith to come and, you know, you didn't know if you are going to get healed but you hoped, you knew the only way that it was going to happen was if you came to Jesus. Will you have that same kind of faith this morning? There's two responses we can have. We can be like the people of Nazareth that we talked about last week, where it just seems too good to be true. Jesus can't really do this, or he can't do it for me. And because of that, it says Jesus wasn't able to do many things. Or you can be like the people of Capernaum. You say, yeah, Jesus. I believe. Jesus, I want what it is that you have to offer. Because I'm sick and tired of living as a captive. I'm sick and tired of living oppressed. 
I want you, the King of Heaven, to come and to do something miraculous in my heart. This is what we're going to do. This morning, if you've been living, whether it's demonic oppression or captivity that you've been living with, whether it's, uh, I really feel there's someone here or maybe more than one person that your sleep has just been troubled because there's been demonic interference in your life where you've been tormented. And at night, there's dreams that are coming to you and things that are keeping you from resting in the peace and the freedom that God has won for you. Or other people, maybe there's something, some a temptation that you're going through, something you just can't break free from, some sin issue, because there's just that, this demonic just keeps leading you back into it. If that's you this morning, Jesus wants to set you free. And I feel there's some people here that need some healing in their bodies. Where you've been living with sickness, and you need to be healed. If you're one of those people, any of those sorts of things, if you need Jesus to do something in your body, either for freedom from demonic or, or some healing in your body, would you be bold enough just to stand up? That's the act of faith. And we're just going to pray for you. The people around you, what we're going to do is if someone's standing up near you, this is what we do as believers. It says that if any of you is sick, that you should pray for them. So all of you that are saying right now, the people around you, why don't you just come over, put a hand on a shoulder. This isn't weird. This is a normal part of what churches have been doing for 2,000 years. It's weird that we got away from it. And here's what we're going to do. It's not dependent on us. We're just going to ask Jesus to do what only he can do, all right? God, we thank you so much for your power. God, thank you that you came to us when we were so far from you. Jesus, thank you that you came and that you didn't give us what we deserved. You took what we deserved and you poured out grace and you poured out mercy on us, Jesus. That you broke every plan of the enemy. God, that you destroyed all power and all authority over the demonic realm. Jesus, we pray that there would be complete release. God, we rebuke every demonic attack on every person here that's standing. Jesus, that you would bring freedom to them. God, that you would restore their mind, that you would restore their emotions, Jesus, that you would restore their peace. God, that you would bring your justice over them and into their life. God, we pray that you would come and there would be peace that surpasses all understanding. God, that you would raise up a, a standard, God, that you would rebuke the work of the enemy inside of their life. God, that you would come and that you would be their defender. Jesus, that you would do the things that only you can do in their life and that instead they would just be overwhelmed and filled by the power of your Holy Spirit. That angels instead would come and minister to them into their heart. Jesus, we pray for every person here that's sick. God, you know everything that's going on inside of their bodies, and you have the ability into just one word, speak, and healing comes. So Jesus, we pray over every person here who's sick. We rebuke the sickness, and God, we pray that instead there would be perfect and full health, God, that's demonstrated in them even now, Jesus, that the healing is miraculously occurring right now. It's instant that there's freedom in their body now, Jesus. God, we thank you so much for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We're not done. One second. So, anything happened in anybody, any of you that were standing up? Did something happen? Did anything happen? Right now, let's raise a hand. Did something happen? Yes, Debbie. What happened? What was your pain? She had shooting pain for the last two weeks, has no idea where it came from, instantly gone. That's the power of Jesus. Anybody else? Anything else going on in here? I mean, hey, that's awesome in and of itself. 
All right, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray one more time. Jesus prayed twice for one person. I'm not Jesus, so I'll pray twice for more. So one more time, if that was you, who still has sickness that they need some taking care of right now? Raise a hand again. All right, over there, let's pray with her. Anybody else? There we go. Oh, Jesus, we pray for that complete and full healing to occur, Jesus. God, we pray that it would have no more power, no more authority, that instead the fullness of the healing would come, that it would be manifest inside of her at this moment, God, as a confirmation of your love and the care that you have for her, as a confirmation of the power that you have, the power that's at work inside of her life, the power that's at work inside of her that will come everything that the enemy has put in front of her. God, as a confirmation of the call and the plan and the purposes that you have on her. In the name of Jesus, we command the sickness to be gone. Amen. Amen. All right. It's a good way to end a service, isn't it? This might be different than what you're used to. I'm sorry for that. But this is what church does. We don't, if we're just coming here to just talk about Jesus or I believe there's a God, like who cares? Like that doesn't change anything. But this morning what you saw and what God did in Debbie's life I didn't even know she had back pain. Jesus did. And because we just believe what the Bible says and ask Jesus to do something, a captive was set free. So, see now this gets really exciting. What if you started doing this for your friends and family? It's not like the preacher man has some kind of special power. The Holy Spirit's in me and the Holy Spirit's in you. All it takes is a little bit of faith and boldness and knowing who Jesus is and what he's capable of. You know why the church grew so fast in the early times? It wasn't because they had some new person that said they were the Savior of God. I mean, there's a dime a dozen. You can find people like that all over. But there was the power. The power confirms that we're not crazy, but that our God is all-powerful. Go out there and make Jesus famous this week. You know what? If so, I love John Wimber, who's one of my heroes of the faith. The incredible healing ministry and gifting that he had. He said he prayed for over a thousand people before one person was healed. I'm glad he didn't quit. I'm glad he didn't say healing wasn't for today or that Jesus isn't strong enough. I'm glad he persisted. And because of that, tens of thousands of people are in the kingdom of God now. If you go out and pray for someone this week and they don't get healed, you keep praying. And you do it again and again and again. Because what we have to make a decision is, do we believe what our Bible says or are we going to believe what our experiences tell us? I'm always going to put my faith in the Bible. And I think Debbie's going to too now. I don't know how to close this out. So our prayer partner is going to be up here in the front. If there's anything that we can pray for you about, man, God's already done some pretty cool stuff and I think he's just getting started. Come forward. Let us pray for you. If not, go drink some coffee, make some friends, tell someone about Jesus, and we'll see you next week. God bless. Yeah.